This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Behold, I have obeyed your voice. These are the words of an aging prophet Samuel in a farewell address or sermon to the nation of Israel. In the last chapter we went over last week, Saul was made king in the aftermath of defeating the Ammonites to save a city of Israel. Here we encounter the last judge of Israel, addressing the people as their prophet, as their judge for many, many years, giving them sound, godly advice. His address shows both great concerns for the nation and going in an unadvised path and demanding a king and in hopefulness in God's mercy throughout the generations. As we prayed in the Collect Prayer for this Sunday, God in his great goodness governs us. He preserves us. Our lessons today reveal the words of Samuel to show the people how God indeed governed them and preserved them in his goodness throughout the generations. This morning, let us learn from these words to apply them to our lives in our time. The first section of our lesson today, verses 1 through 5, serves as, as an evaluation, if you will, upon the life and the work of this prophet. From his beginnings, as, as we read at the beginning of 1 Samuel, of, of a young boy that was given to God to be raised by the priest, the high priest Eli, and then to be made a judge and a prophet. As Samuel said in verse 2, I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Governing as Samuel did as a judge and a prophet for a very long time is especially difficult in our fallen world where temptations abound, especially for those that are in leadership. It is often what that we equate governing in our own time with things that are bad, with evil, not with goodness. And such, even to our own day, we as the people of God, just as occurred with Israel to demand a king, sometimes get nervous. We get fearful to the point we resort often to sinful means to replace those that are governing us, of dealing with those that govern us. Here in our chapter this morning, Samuel asks a series of difficult questions about how he had governed the people over these decades. They are questions, essentially, we all ask of our own government, and we often see serious breaches. He asks them as a precaution due to the choice for a king. The overwhelming arch here is that they rejected the authority of Almighty God that he had placed over them for something they desired, for something they wanted that they saw the surrounding nations having. Yet for us as Christians, 
We have a strong mandate from God's word, the New Testament, about honoring and obeying the authority God has placed over us. And in the time of the Apostle Paul and Peter, when he was, they were writing these things, they were writing in the context of men like Nero Caesar, of evil rulers. They were the poster children, if you will, for why many in the last 300 years have started revolutions and civil wars. Yet Christians, in the time of the New Testament, under the leadership of the apostles, did not react to the tyranny of their time or to the martyrdom of fellow Christians in the way we do today with rebellion, with war, with protests. No, as we read the New Testament, as we read what Samuel is really really pleading about here in 1 Samuel, they responded by continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as our eternal king, as our eternal savior, as the only way to salvation to the entire world. As we read in the New Testament, the only weapons we really have and can we really use legitimately as Christians are spiritual weapons. Weapons not of this world, of the word of God, faith, God's grace, his love, and so forth. The evils of this world are to be met with these weapons that Jesus Christ has given us in his church, those spiritual weapons, not the methods used by the world, such as mob protests, rebellion, discord, slander, and so much of what we see around us. These five questions that Samuel asked are important in understanding even what our Savior Jesus Christ as our Lord and King did for us, what he does for us, how he rules us, that Jesus suffered everything for us. Going through these five questions that Samuel asked the people, thinking about it, Jesus fulfilled all five of these in terms of suffering. He suffered, he bore our burdens upon himself as an ox, as a donkey does, but the burdens of all of humanity's sin. He suffered through the oppression of humanity. He suffered through defrauding by the treason of one of his disciples. He suffered at the blindness of Pilate to give in to the demands of the religious elite to murder him. In response to this love, we out of gratitude and contentment in him alone seek to give up our prideful endeavors in terms of constantly spinning our wheels with what type of rulers we have in our life. Instead, the Christian, and as Samuel pointed out today, we must rest in the arms of our dear shepherd, our dear king, Jesus Christ. He is our king. He rules over all, no matter how bleak things look around us in terms of our governance. As our epistle today states in verse 15, speaking of Jesus, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The first two questions deal with whether or not Samuel, as their governor, as their judge, as their prophet for so many years, took the means of their livelihood away in terms of their beasts of burden, their oxen, their donkeys. It would be akin today with rulers taking our means of our lives, such as our vehicles and so forth, that we depend upon to live and to eat 
to take them away from us. It was, after all, the practice of all the surrounding kings of the region that would take the people's oxen and donkeys for their own use. So Samuel, knowing they demanded a king like all the other surrounding nations, asked them if he is their prophet and judge had done the same thing. Then he asked the last three questions related to the practice of the kings that surrounded them as well, of oppression, defraud, and taking bribes to turn a blind eye. These five questions are all things we encounter every day from human governments in one way or the other. They are part of living in a sinful world. Yet we often in our blindness throw off something that is superior in favor of what we think is better in our own eyes from a pragmatic standpoint. And this is exactly what Israel did. This is why Israel demanded a king. The nation panicked at the Ammonites now pressuring them along with the Philistines. Their demand for a king seems strange in regard to the answer they gave prophet Samuel. In verse 4, with God as their witness, they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. Yet in his peaceful governing, enemies applying pressure caused impatience, caused the people to be fearful. Instead of waiting on Almighty God, they demanded something now. They demanded what all the other countries had. They neglected what we read today in verse 1 of our psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. The last half of our passage today is a testament and retelling of Israel's history to this point in time for the people to hear. Yes, they now lived under a king, and Samuel no longer judged. But he was still their prophet, and here fulfilled the prophetic call to remind the people that at the foundation, they were still God's people still meant to serve Almighty God. He is retelling here the story of God's love to his people. And it echoes what we read earlier in our psalm in verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. Part of this telling involves the reminder that God still ruled over them through the people that God chooses. Serving God throughout scripture entails honoring and obeying the civil authority God sets in place, which according to Paul and Peter in the New Testament includes all civil authority structures that we encounter in this life, whether it's Nero Caesar or George Washington. Israel threw off their structure with Samuel as their judge when they demanded a king. They demanded something that they saw the other countries have. In this section, Samuel draws them into their history to remind them of their need of God and God alone. It's something we often need reminding of and is why we have Sundays like today and this coming holy season to recall the passion of Jesus Christ, to recall what Jesus Christ has done for all of us, suffering and dying for our sins, to preface his sermon to them. He said this in verse 6, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. 
And in verse 7, Samuel states again, Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. I'm sure you're all thankful that as your pastor I don't demand that you stand during the sermons. Then he did as many prophets and even the apostles did in the New Testament, reminding them through a sermon of God's work throughout history of how he redeemed them from their many and their great predicaments due to their sin. Even after, as we read, the great men of God that he raised up, of Jacob, of Moses, and Aaron to lead them to salvation, we read that the people did this in verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God. Samuel then speaks of a succession of oppressors, Sisera, the Philistines, the king of Moab. Because of this, the people confessed again in verse 10. We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. Again, the Lord relented. He forgave them. He raised up four different judges that were mentioned that saved them from these various enemies. The result of this is that at the end of verse 11, we read that they lived in safety. And in verse 12, we read that Israel in the time of Samuel reacted in the following way to the emergence of a new enemy in Nahash of the Ammonites that was oppressing them. No, but a king shall reign over us. Instead of trusting in God as their king, that had repeatedly saved them through the generations before, through the judges. They sought a king like all the other nations. Instead of the usual course the Lord took with their various disobediences of the past, Samuel said this at the end of our passage in verse 13, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. In the grand scheme of God's steady work from Genesis to revelation to save humanity from sin. The kingdom of Israel was set up to begin the fulfillment of the eventual great king that would come. Jesus Christ, the son of God, to redeem his people. This saving would be different than with the judges before Samuel of temporal salvation. This salvation would be different from all the great kings that would come in terms of whether it's David, Josiah, or Hezekiah, of temporal salvations. The salvation was in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, at the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension is eternal. Yet the seeds for his coming, if you will, were set in motion with the kingdom of Israel and a royal line that led directly to Jesus Christ, completing this redemptive narrative that Samuel told the people in our passage today. The coming of Jesus, as described in our passage in Hebrews, has the following importance for all of us as Christians. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. King Jesus reigns over us throughout the course of this world. We submit to Jesus alone, giving up our sins to him to constantly defeat and vanquish 
leaving us free to love him, to submit to him, and to present his name to all around us as our great and eternal king. No matter our governance in this present time, Jesus Christ reigns supreme, commanding us to honor, respect, and obey what he has placed over us. After all, as the New Testament outlines very clearly, to disobey and dishonor what he has given and placed us under is to disobey and to dishonor Jesus. As Christians, our call is to know that our security is eternal. It is not temporal. He saves us body and soul, no matter what man may do to the body. Let us in our restless age that often sinfully disobeys and dishonors learn to submit to Jesus alone even the things that we do not like. He has called us to a loving, caring submission. He has called us to rest in his eternal security. Let us close with these calming words related to our future assured glorious resurrection in him from our gospel today the words of Jesus to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will not die. Amen.